As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're traveling around Scotland, working with families and organizations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the On Farm podcast. I'm Anna and um, whilst I'm with you just now, I was not the lucky person who had the pleasure of going to visit our next guests. Producer Dave took a trip quite recently up to Spean Bridge and he spent the day with Paolo and Elspeth Berardelli. Now, I'm particularly interested in this episode because uh, Elspeth is actually my husband's cousin. So I visited the Great Glen Cattle Ranch where they live in the past. Um, But I didn't realise until listening to this episode the huge variety of activities that they have going on on the farm. Uh, Now, sheep is obviously a big thing for them up there um, in the mountains. um, But they also are involved with a lot of stalking. Uh, They uh, have renewable energy. They've got... A few pets as well as the commercial animals. So uh, you'll hear from a goat at some point in the episode. And Elspeth has just started a new venture, which is all about bringing disadvantaged children onto the farm and effectively seeing them flourish as a result of all of the the wonderful activities that they take part in. So um, I think you'll enjoy hearing from them uh, because their story is fabulous and it's fascinating to hear all of the things that they get up to. This is Gino the goat and this is this year's pet lambs. They're actually doing really well. You're good lambs, aren't you? I think we should start from the beginning, guys. If we can get you to sort of just introduce yourselves, first of all. So kind of name, rank and serial number, Mm -hmm. I guess. My name is and I am. Yeah, I'm Paolo Berardelli. I came to the cattle ranch here in Spean Bridge in the Great Glen when I was about 14 years old and grew up here basically, moved away for a while, but in our 30s, me and my wife Elspeth came back and had most of our five children here. Together we run the Great Glen Cattle Ranch. We run a sheep, uh, sort of mountain sheep farm down in Glencoe and some land where we do some deer stalking at Loch Islet. That's brilliant. You've introduced Elspeth too, but we'll let her say hello. Uh, Anything to add? Hi, so yeah, I'm Elspeth, yeah, as Paula said, um, we've been here for the last 20 years farming together, bringing up her five children here. Latterly, they have dispersed to various corners of the world, so it's Paolo and I and our one remaining child, and I seem to have just filled the, the void with animals and other people's children that I bring on to the farm for a little bit of farm therapy and um, outdoor experiences. Where we are here now at the cattle ranch, at one time, it used to be part of Inverlochy Estate. So Inverlochy Estate spre- uh, uh, stretched out all the way from Fort William. The northern boundary would have been the, uh, the river, the Lochy River. And going south, the boundary would 
basically be right into Kinloch leaving. So um, it, the Ben Nevis, Anach Moor, where the skiing is, the Grey Corries, the Mamores near Kinloch leaving, they were all part of the Inverlochy estate. The bulk of it is still owned by, well, what was British Aluminium, that obviously got the smelter in Fort William and they used the hydropower from the area. Uh, it's now owned by Jahama. They run it mostly. There's no livestock on it anymore, or very little. There's some sheep uh, close to Ben Nevis and Glen Nevis, but the rest of it's all just basically a one big stalking estate. And our part of it, the cattle ranch, was split off in the 50s, basically. And Imbalochi Castle Hotel has been split off. So yeah, it's all it's all been yeah the bulk of it's still together, but and obviously the Ben now is owned by the John Muir Trust, because actually you are very much in the heart of picture book Scotland here. Yeah, aren't yeah, you? absolutely. I mean, yeah. On one level, it is very very beautiful, but also it's getting on towards winter as we're speaking now. It might be closer to winter by the time yeah. this piece gets aired. Yeah, I'm guessing it's pretty wild sometimes too. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're quite close to sea, so we don't really get a lot of snow low down unless we get an east wind. But, uh, yeah, obviously the, the hills, there's plenty of snow on the hills and and uh, pretty, pretty rough weather. There's a very friendly goat that we'll get onto. Yeah, I think I might have to this goat. <laughs> Why don't we let Elspeth get the goat fed and make sure, because actually he's quite keen to eat my microphone cable at the moment, which is not what we want. So while she keeps the animals occupied, Paolo, uh -huh. you've got a few different enterprises here. Yeah. You've got quite a lot of different things going on. Yeah. Just talk us through. I mean, yeah. So I, you know, the I guess the priority is to try and keep the land that we've got working for us, keep employment, which I think is really important, just to keep people on the land. You know, for example, Glencoe, the type of land we farm there. Generally, the sheep of of gone off that ground that type of ground just because of its the difficulty in managing that type of ground because of its steepness and exposure the elements and stuff so we're reasonably lucky down in Glencoe we've got a two triple SIs down there uh, for species rich Nardus so it's a special alpine type of habitat that's situated where water coming down a burn creates an alluvial fan at the bottom of the burn that sort of green splay that you get at the bottom of the burn where all the nutrients come down the the burn and are, are, are splayed over and that's where the species rich nardus is now it needs a a, a a level of grazing it doesn't need to be overgrazed by sheep but it doesn't need to be undergrazed if it's undergrazed it would get too rank so basically the government through aches schemes uh, pay us basically to manage that habitat by keeping the sheep on there okay so it's 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 a wild kind of place it's quite low lambing percentages you're 65 70 percent lambing but generally it's the it's the extra subsidy that we get that are keeping the sheep on there basically but you know at the end of the day we're producing obviously lamb and stuff but we're doing a job for the nation we're we're managing that that sensitive uh, important habitat for the nation like if, if the sheep went went from the hill the deer wouldn't do the same job as the sheep it really has to be the sheep you know and and you're talking about sites 
that there's only 10 or 12 of those sites in Scotland like that. So it's a really important site. I mean, Glencoe has got a status for special area, area of conservation. And the only reason it really, it's got that status is because of that SSIs, triple SIs. So that's one yeah. string to your bow. Yeah. We're also on the what's called farm, the Great yeah. Glen Cattle Ranch that's here, right, which yeah. is something else entirely that you do here. Yeah, so this is the main farm here now that we live on, that we were basically base ourselves at. So Glencoe is organic, been organic since 1999. We've been organic here since 2005 and run, you know, a relatively extensive low out, low input, hopefully not too low output type of farming. Uh, and we have down in Glencoe, we have about a thousand yows, black-faced yows. Here we have about 400 black-faced yews and we have... 100 Galloway cows that are all outwintered and calve in the spring. We sell the calves in the autumn, early autumn, and we uh, cross the Galloways with a, a white shorthorn bull to produce the blue grey heifers that we sell for breeding. And all the livestock goes to other organic farms, either for breeding or for growing on and finishing, basically. Just that name great glen cattle ranch i just think that conjures really interesting images in people's minds and it's a name with a story behind it right yeah definitely yeah so it was uh, mr hobbs that's that uh, bought the land in the 50s he was a distillery owner in fort william a, a canadian is that he right? was canadian that's right he owned a distillery a various distilleries one in fort william and he saw that the land was for sale and it reminded him very much of the land back in Canada where he grew up. And it was uh, just after the war, so there was a big push to increase production, in, you know, increase the productivity of the land. There was no cattle at the at the time. It was only a few sheep. Well, some cattle, but mostly sheep, some milking cows, but mostly sheep. So he, he bought the land and with help from the government, if you like, to transform it into a cattle ranch that could be a blueprint for other land in, in in Scotland. So a lot of people you speak to actually of our generation have actually been to the ranch because as, you know, they came for farm visits when, you know, they're in, the, in their 20s, young farmers or whatever. So it was like an example for others yeah, to follow. Yeah, no, definitely, yeah. But he was he was a very smart guy. He, he, he owned the lime quarry just over the road. So he used to get paid by the government to spread his own lime on his own land. So, yeah. He he was um, he was quite a shrewd guy, but he had a, he had over a thousand cows on the place. It was a lot bigger in them days. It was ten thousand acres. We run about two thousand acres now, uh, but obviously the name stuck, and everybody knows it as the ranch or the cattle ranch or whatever. So yeah. Okay, I just want to make sure we've covered all this off. So we've talked about mm-hmm. the sheep over at Glencoe yep. and the um, you know the kind of here, yeah. the cattle ranching here. Uh-huh. There's, uh, you've been stalking recently yeah, with, yeah, with you, visitors from America? That's right. We just do two weeks of uh, stag stalking. So we have about 4,500 acres near Arasig, near at And uh, basically we have American, some, some English and Scottish clients, but mostly Americans that come for a week at a time and 
we take them out, we guide them out stalking basically and uh, uh, shoot stags with them. You know, we, we guide them and, and they shoot the stag, but we're, we're taking them out basically, so... And that's just finished now. How's that gone? Yeah, yeah, it went really well. Yeah, yeah. No, we shot. We had 12 Americans came and they wanted two stags each and that's exactly what they got. So everybody, with a day to spare, actually, they had one day off. So that was good. So it's quite an intense week, you know, looking after all these guys. But it's good fun as well. We have we have some dinners together at night and with all the boys and, and, and that work that helped me, helped me doing the stalk and the gillies and the stalkers and... Um, they come, you know, it's not, for them, it's not just about the shot. It's about being out in the hill, walking. It's it's quite steep ground. There's no there's no mechanical way, really, of getting up the hill. It's all on foot. And, uh, you know, they appreciate that. They appreciate the skill of the stalker to get them on a beast. They love the scenery. Yeah, just, just and they come back every year. They're coming back now for 25 years, so... With different people, but the main guy has been coming back for a long time. So, so agritourism is quite a trendy word just now, yeah. but that's effectively what you've been doing here for yeah. for two decades or more, that's actually. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've got some renewable energy as well. We've got uh, 50 kilowatt hydro that goes in the grid, and that's been doing very, very well. And we've got a very small one here, a 5 kilowatt, 6 kilowatt, that basically provides the houses with uh, power when it's raining, obviously. And we have a, a biomass uh, plant here as well that provides heat for the two houses on the farm. So, yeah, and comms mass, we've got quite strategic locations for uh, communication mass for um, uh, mobile phone mass. So that's another, another source of income as well. So, yeah, we basically use the land... You know, very much our land is our asset and we try and uh, use it to the best of our advantage, you know. It's really interesting hearing you speak because that is a widespread of different things that you're yeah. up to. And I think it it needs to be, right? Absolutely. If, if one you, thing's not working out, something no, else absolutely. might fill the gap. 100%. You need to have a lot of different things going on parallel to each other. For example, the communication mass now, the government have put in a, a new law that gives the communication guys a lot more power. So the rents have drastically reduced in that, you know, so, you know, that, you know, the, the income from them has gone down to basically 20% of what it was. But the hydro is doing nearly double because of the price of power. So, so it's is, is so expensive. It's doing over double what it was doing five years ago. So, but, you know, you need all these things to one will, one will do well and the other one won't, won't do so well, you know. It's a juggling act. Mm. It's a juggling act. And Elspeth isn't making life any easier because, Elspeth, we're just going to walk over here. Come over to Pello. Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, so, Elspeth, you're standing here as well, waiting patiently to be spoken to because all of that's going on on the farm and you're trying to get something new running as well, almost a sort of a social work project. I, I suppose it could be described as that. I think the thing that Pello maybe hasn't yet brought out is how much of a family farm this is. And our children have been involved from... As soon as they could walk, probably even prior to them walking, they'd be out in prams, you know, in the middle of the, the sheep shed or whatever. And I think it recently it's just begun to dawn on me what privilege that is. You know, they have life skills and resilience that I think is maybe lacking now, particularly post-COVID. Um, so it's, it, it's been several years of something working away inside me, wanting to share, wanting to give back. 
wanting to share that privilege that our kids have had. And it's just, I actually did a wilderness therapy course um, a couple of years ago. A wilderness therapy course? Yeah. Which. It, What's one of those? <laughs> well, it, it seems a little bit illogical in that it involved me driving eight hours down to Cheshire to then find a bit of wilderness but that's what was involved and we did 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 you tell them you've got plenty here you know yeah well I did offer some very wilderness but they they wanted civilized wilderness perhaps accessible wilderness maybe that and it it was fascinating we did psychology in the morning and the afternoons we went out into the woods sat around fires and just learned the beauty of just being you know in an environment it was really still we had whittling knives or whatever and the chat and the you just see people easing and beginning to breathe and it really really resonated so that probably started me focused this journey and then I got a grant um, to set up what I called a space to be maybe for want of any other description but space to be is the name of the project yes yep. it is um, I got funding through um, it was called the ideas fund and they wanted some research on the back of it as well so I had to I got together with what's now CAMS, um, the psychiatrist, one of the psychiatrists in CAMS. And so CAMS is the Children and Adolescents Mental Health Support Service, isn't exactly, it? Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Who at the moment are absolutely inundated, you know, particularly post-COVID. Um, there's a real need and an awful lot of children that are really struggling, particularly with mainstream education, socialising, anxiety, that kind of thing. So we... we we had a pilot group of children. I spoke to the school, we released with the school, and they decided that they would select 10 children that they really felt were struggling. And they chose a group of first years as a pilot group. And after coming here for 10 weeks, it was unbelievable, the transformation in those kids, you know. And all we did, we went into the wood, we sat around the fire, we chatted. I, t- I wanted to try and give them ownership as well. So that's one side of it. And then... Slightly self-indulgent, I seem to have collected five disparate animals round about me as well. So we have... What's Paolo got to say about that? You've got a theory about that, Paolo. Well, they just get this little field and they're not allowed out of it, basically. <laughs> it's fine as long as they stay here. <laughs> it's, it's the children, the five, many of the five children have flown the nest and you're looking to, the, the, the to, to the, fill, the ga- fill the gap. It's purely coincidental that there's five animals. Okay. <laughs> 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 I mean, look, so the donkeys in particular... The, the ch- the, they're really incredible therapy animals. I mean, you just feel you can tell them anything. You know, they're, they're beautiful, they're gentle. And they were rescue animals themselves. They were rescued from a, a railway down, down, uh, railway down, railway line down in the Lake District. Um, and it's a mother and daughter who had gotten full as a quite young mum and um, they were looking for a new home. So I think they've found their forever home now. Paolo, I know that in the past you have spoken about your own experiences mm-hmm. with mental mm-hmm. health. Yeah. And you've considered it, I presume, considered it to be important to do so. Yeah. Must be quite good from that perspective to see this sort of positive action yeah, taking yeah. place right here on your farm. Yeah, no, very much so. I mean, it's a bit of a, has been a bit of a taboo thing in the past, obviously. And people are talking a lot more about it. So, I mean, I, I did an interview for the Scottish Farmer about my bipolar mental health problem. Well, I suppose it is a problem. Condition, but maybe. Condition. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes, it, you know, like when I'm feeling good and I can do take on a lot of stuff, it's obviously a very positive thing. When I'm feeling down, 
it's it's a negative thing. But anyway, I'm kind of dealing with it, and I thought it was uh, important to um, talk about it if it helped other people, and it was amazing. I was just unbelievably just thrown back by the amount of people that sent me cards, sent me messages, called me on the phone. People I didn't really know sort of knew a bit, but they were having problems. And, uh, you know, they were just really glad that I'd, I'd talked about it. So, you know, they were telling me how they were trying to deal with it and taking my advice, going to the doctor, whatever, you know. So that was really good. And then sort of else was starting to do this with the kids. And I can see the kids that come here, that have been coming here for a year. And there's a huge difference in them when they start. When they start, they just won't even... Eye con no eye contact, they're looking down and no confidence, no no self-esteem, no you know, no resilience, no nothing, you know, and and Elspeth works with them for a while and they start chatting and talking to you and 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 yeah, after a few months you can really see a big difference in them. So yeah, very proud of what she's doing and I mean I help out a wee bit with it and help her with the space and try and get that make a wee, we made a wee path in there for her and a wee hut and stuff so and some of the kids come and come with me in the tractor or doing what I'm doing as well so I try and help out when I can. Yeah it's really interesting I feel you know I do the bulk of the, the legwork and whatever and then Paolo roll up in the tractor and it's oh can we go with Paolo you know he's, he's like a god you know, the, the, the grumpier the better you know the, <laughs> you've got to live up to the stereotype Paolo is that what it is? He does that very very well. <laughs> I, I think what hit me too was the irony of being in, you know, Lochaber, outdoor capital of Britain, and yet it's not accessible to so many people. And I think previously um, we, we have a child who has mobility issues, and I saw accessibility maybe as a physical thing, and I now realise it's not a me mentally it's a huge thing to be brave enough to access the outdoors or to understand how to use the outdoors. Just to know what to do and how to be, maybe, sometimes. I think, like I said, the things that we just took for granted that we've always encouraged in our children. And, you know, we, we've probably been quite... There's been a lot of tough love. You know, we put them out in cold weather and you'll be fine, put your wellies on and whatever. And I think that's maybe missing nowadays in, in some upbringings just because of the way that society's altered. So... It's humbling every day to see the um, impact of something so simple. I wanted to introduce you to my chickens. Um, I think I mentioned that I tried to give the children that come to the farm a bit of ownership. So we incubated an egg each. They all picked up our, one egg, we put them in the incubator, and three weeks later we hatched the most random group of chickens I think I've ever, ever had. And I just love, I just feel it reflects the whole inclusion of what we're doing and you know they come back and actually this particular one this is Charles so they come back and they know their chickens and you know they, they call them by name and they they lift them up and I just think it's a, a real a really brilliant example of of the diversity oh we've got the dogs now too <laughs> bye but bye yeah, chickens it, oh, I mean, it doesn't <laughs> what is it animals and children well, we do we do both in extreme I think yeah, we'll leave them feeding here and I'll show you into the wood as well if you'd like to. But that's lovely. Each one of these chickens has been raised from an egg by one of the kids that you have on the farm to help them kind of grow in confidence and, and kind of... Well, just have a bit of ownership, you know, every time yeah. they... I mean, obviously, there's a limit to that. We can't, you know, we have groups through every 
12 weeks we can't yeah, you'd be a battery farm yeah, before you knew where you were. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to find an outlet perhaps to keep doing it but certainly for the first group it was it was just another really definitive moment it, very exciting for them and hands-on a lot of people don't even realize how a chicken comes into being hello doggies Right, we're going, going to These the are all our son's uh, dogs that he uses for... They look like proper working dogs. ...being a contract shepherd, but then he goes to New Zealand and he leaves me to look after them all. So, well, there's, there's four more that he's actually farmed out to other people, so we've only got half of them, thankfully, but... Yeah. He sounds like he's got quite the lifestyle swapping hemispheres every yeah. every two seasons she, shearing and drinking beer well, well at least it, he's not just drinking beer at least he's doing some work so this time of year he's in where new zealand he's just left for new zealand and they'll start shearing more or less straight away and that'll take him through to about february i think and he comes back and he's got a few lambing jobs um i think one in aberdeenshire and one somewhere else and then he and then he comes back to this area and Sky and north of Scotland and he shears and gathers sheep every day just just on a day-to-day -day basis really. There's a very excited dog. Where are we going? What are we doing? Yeah, they don't get in here very much. Say again. They don't get in here very much. This is my domain. So this is this actually started off as a goat wood. It was a rough, wet field, basically, that uh, in the 80s we made use of the grants at the time to plant little areas of natural woodland. So, so it's a bit of woodland that we've looked out on for 15 years and just saw it as a dark, boggy wood. And then I got some... A, a bit of a nuisance, maybe. Well, it was. Yeah. Well, then I got the goats, so equally a bit of a nuisance. So Pearl <laughs> said, right, you can have that woodland for your goats. So that's what it's, how it started. I put my goats in here, and then they started ring-barking all the trees. So they were gradually killing the wood, so they got sent back to another field, and I saw the opportunity to develop it as something else. So this is where the project is supposed to be really started, and this was the woodland that I got the grant for, and this is where my vision kind of started and it was the area that I was going to provide for them that they could then come and just hang out and you see them beginning to gain confidence some of them come they're almost mute you know they're so scared to speak and by the end they're giggling and laughing and forming friendships that have continued you know back into their school life again which is incredible yeah, because they might not feel able within school to kind of make the friendships with other people in another gang or another tribe that they could make here yeah. where they may be more, of an, more on an equal footing, have Absol more commonality. Well, absolutely. I think, you know, when children, particularly when they first go into high school, there's a whole hierarchical thing and, you know, it's all about being cool and doing the right thing and wearing the right clothes. You come here and that takes away all of that, you know... <laughs> The, the right clothes are wellies, it right, turns exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. If you haven't got your wellies on, you're definitely not cool. So, yeah, I mean, it's very, very simple. I put in a meandering path, and there was already the hut there. That was the hut that we actually built for the goats, which was clearly always too good for the goats anyway. Um, so we can... <laughs> <laughs> I've seen glamping places that are less... Uh... 
less yeah. hospitable. The other thing I notice about the path we're on is that it's very wide. The accessibility is something that you've got in mind, haven't you, at all times? Absolutely. Um, and I still, you know, I still feel I've got a long way to go with that. So, yeah, the path is very accessible. The huts is very accessible. I haven't managed to get a fully accessible loo. We've got a little um, outdoor composting loo, but it's not wheelchair accessible. I need... I'm constantly looking for different streams of funding to advance particularly that part of it, the physical accessible part. This tiny little pond was a very fundamental part of this group. So this was week three and we had a girl who was very, very into frogs. And we found some tadpoles that, in a puddle that were drying out. So they said, right. Let's rescue those tadpoles. And we got, we got wheelbarrows, wheelbarrows for the water. We just thought we'd put a bit of amusement into it as well. And so we had a, a digging team, a barrowing with water team and a, a stone collecting team. And in two hours we collected this, or we created this pond. And again, it's, you know, it's, it's giving it back to them. It's their pond, you know, and they come and they, they check and, you know, they watch the tadpoles grow. And it's so simple. And yet it, absolutely gelled that group you know from then on there was a unity that hadn't been there to begin with I know you forget that we're, we're not very far from the main roads at all and yet it's a haven isn't it it's so tranquil and I try it's hard with groups of kids but I'm always trying to get a bit of mindfulness into them even to get them to be quiet for two minutes and it's incredible you know, be quiet for two minutes and list the things that you can hear and I think that they're gradually beginning to appreciate it and then somebody I can just hear the chewing of my jammy dodger or something like you know this <laughs> <laughs> my snotty nose yeah yeah there's this uh, quite trendy concept of forest bathing isn't there where you go out and take time in the woods and just be right well, that, that's i suppose that's kind of where i was coming from but what i really realize and that's how i'm operating the project is to not have an agenda is a really valuable thing, you know, especially for children with anxiety. Or to not be rushing, to, to not, be rushed. And to do what, what they want. So, okay, I mean, I usually will have a choice of things. And I'll say, you know, do you want to do this? Do you want to do this? Or do you just want to go for a walk? And quite often, that's the, what they choose. They just want to walk. You know, we had lots of... The, the river was in a big spate last week. And we just wandered around the edge of the river, looked into the river, threw some sticks in, looked at how the currents were working. It, it, it's very, very simple things. I don't know if you noticed too that the path, I love the way the path meanders. And that was our first point of conflict. You can imagine Paolo the farmer. So the hut's there, the gate's there. What on earth is this about? <laughs> this path is three times as long as it needs to be. Even You're not getting it, Paolo. You're no. not getting it. I get it now. <laughs> but even, well, it's so nice. You see these kids, they come in that gate and then they're liberated. They can do whatever they want. You know, they run up the path and, you know, we have a bit of a routine, you know, we, we light the fire. I'll, I'll, come on, I'll show you where we sit around the fire. I just, I just love listening to you because you're so enthusiastic about this project. Like, I can just hear it in your I voice. It's been in me for so long and to, and I was really scared, you know, it's maybe like committing to running a marathon or something, you know. Once I applied for that grant and then got it, it was like, oh my gosh, I, I really have to do this thing. And then with the, the first pilot group being so successful, you know, just ticking every box um, in increased well-being. I, 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 what's the right word, actually? 
resilience is a word that always comes out and I, I think that maybe is realising that it's okay to be wet it's okay to get into the bog it's okay to feel a bit of discomfort and I, I think I think that's something that they gain a lot from learning so this is yeah this was the original too good for the goats hut so we've reached the end of the windy path and here we are at the hut and you're right it is too good for goats and then out here we've got some just very simple logs for seating yeah, well, and, a, and a brazier like a burner yeah so this we actually have two alternative fires this one it's funny this seems to be more i hate using the word therapy i don't know what the right word is but this one lad comes and we light the fire he and sometimes it is a therapist or whoever they come and sit and just chat and it, there's an ambience that it creates that it just is very very relaxing so this is more kind of one-to-one -one, one and then the groups we tend to we set this up in a circle we get the fire going we get the hot chocolate that's always a, a big pool as well and, and this is all stuff that some kids might do with scouts or something, isn't it? it? You know, but I guess you're opening it up to people who might not volunteer for things like that yeah. straightforwardly. And I think, again, it's, it, I think it's the lack of agenda. So even with scouts or whatever, you know, you come to earn a badge or you do a something, whereas you, you don't have to do anything. Or you can, you know, we do different crafts, we've done weaving and oh, different things with plants. And when you see them all, they sit around here the first week and there'll be, there'll be two there, there'll be one there. You know, they're very much in their tiny little cliques. And by second, third week, you get the hot chocolate going and you know, there's, there's banter going round. And one thing I do do, I start, I've given them all little name plaques and this is our, our name board. And it's, a, it's, a, it's a wooden pallet. It could be a wood, yeah, that's one way of describing <laughs> it. Started, it started life as a wooden pallet. <laughs> wooden pallet with some nails in it. And you know, they write their name, they're just little bits of wood. And I always make a big thing of putting the name up. So sometimes it's, yeah, put the name up and tell me your favourite animal. Or another week it might... Oh, nice. So just so you, there's a bit of connection between each other. So they're thinking, oh, this is Fred. Oh. And his favourite animal is... Oh, he likes yeah. a wolf. Oh, my. I, I like wolves too, you know. And, you know, they probably there's... didn't even know anything about Fred. They probably never even heard Fred... Speak. Speak, exactly. Or another thing I do, which is it's just silly little things you have a, have the names in a bag and I get them to draw the name out and then they have to give the name to the person so it's just it's just encouraging very very simple non-complicated communication between them <laughs> there's one very nice craft that involves um, you just get two bits of fabric you pick up some plants you put another bit of fabric on top and then you get a stone and you beat it down and you make these wonderful maybe like the, the symmetrical butterfly kind of designs and it, you know it's so simple nobody can get that wrong and also if you've got inner frustrations it's quite nice to just bang down hard so um, that's been really successful is the fear of getting things wrong something that this generation might you've got cold hands after doing <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that, that the generation you're talking about might, might struggle with actually i think it is i think that there's, there's just such huge yeah, there's just an awful lot of pressure on pressure. them to, to, uh, yeah. to achieve all the time. And definitely COVID has made a difference. And maybe it's that thing in COVID. I think we're all a bit guilty. We realise that you can get out of things. I'm very much a person, if you've said you're going to do something, then you commit to it and you do it. But COVID, there was so often that things that you thought you were going to do were cancelled. And I think 
maybe that's a psyche that's kind of gone through all of us now. Oh, well, maybe I don't need to bother. And to some extent, that's good. There's no pressure, but maybe you need to commit as you well. You might miss you? out on something wonderful if you absolutely don't absolutely. grasp opportunities when they come. It's been really special to come here and to hear about your vision. Thank you very much for sharing it. That's okay. I don't, I don't know where it's going. It just seems to be growing constantly. And um, Paolo's like, this, this is your limit. And then I might sneak another little bit of woodland. There's so many lovely little pockets. of. I think when you see it grow, you know, you just, the potential just carries on. You know, elderly people who are maybe become a bit isolated, it'd be lovely for them to come and, yeah. It's yeah, quite I funny think. because in doing, doing these on-farm episodes, you hear that quite a lot. You know, the kind of um, tension almost between the farming couples, the husband or whatever thinks that there's a way of doing things and, and, the, and the, the wife or partner thinks that there's another way of doing things and it's about navigating the relationship sometimes. I do wonder if the farmer, you know, it's all about the business and I think they're maybe just slightly scared of appearing soft, I think. As I say, we normally, you know, we'll come to a compromise that is usually in my favor um and i think it, as you know he said he sees the he says one thing i say another and we compromise by doing what i want <laughs> <laughs> that's a very good summation i think he appreciates the value of it as well to be fair um don't you yeah yeah well let's bring him back in because paolo's just been off taking a phone call but we're just wrapping up and mm -hmm. just hearing from elspeth about you know this wonderful project in this particular corner of the field but thinking back about you know, the whole of the conversation that we've had, the real sense that I get is so many irons and so many mm -hmm. fires. And it's all about thinking about the next thing, the next way mm -hmm. to make this land work for you, mm -hmm. to give you a living and to give you a life. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, we've, we've been very lucky that my father, you know, used to be a chemical engineer and he developed, uh, grew a business and sold it and used that money to, to come to Scotland and buy land uh, because he loved it. And, you know, we, we're really privileged that we're his legacy, um, that we're here because he, he came here, he bought the land. But, you know, it's, it's, it's got to work for you. You've got to, you've, it's our only way of making income, basically. And we've got to look at all, all aspects of it to try, and, to try and generate income from it and keep people employed, keep people coming here, yeah making income but also with Elspeth's project more yeah. so maybe making life a bit better for people as well absolutely absolutely well, it is. It's just that, that sharing it with people yeah Sh sharing it yeah it's a privilege to live and work who we do and we're really really aware of that and I think the more people that we bring onto the farm and see their enthusiasm it, j it just verifies that you know that we're really really privileged and yes it's hard work but the qualities it gives you way outweigh that I think anyway I've really enjoyed speaking to you both. I know that you are trying to get away and get packed for a trip. So we'll stop there. We'll call it to a halt. And I'll say thank you very much for taking time out of what was already a busy day to speak to me. Thank you, Paolo. Absolute pleasure, David. Absolute pleasure. And thank you, Elspeth. Very nice to meet you. Thanks, David. 
So thank you to Paolo and to Elspeth. I really enjoyed that and I hope uh, that you did too. Uh, Thank you to Dave for taking the trip up there to meet with them. And as ever, thank you to our sponsors. So Gillespie McAndrew, thank you once again for your support of the On Farm podcast. We could not produce these podcasts without the support of our sponsors. So thank you to Gillespie McAndrew. And uh, that's us for this week. We will be back again next week and uh, see you then.